Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I need to go into something where it's a service oriented, like where like I get paid for like my work and my time, like my, my effort. And so I pivoted my career into patent law. And I went out east uh, to law school, came back to the Midwest and wrote a bunch of hundreds of patent applications for the automotive industry. And um, I looked around and I was like, I love what I do, this challenge. I have, a, I have a knack and that knack is like to look at stuff that are really complicated and to tease out what's different and to be able to predict the value of that difference. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazny. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine is about two things. Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story. What made them tick? What got them to where they are now? So it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazade, and boy, do we have a special guest, my man, my brother. From another mother, Jeffrey Shocks. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I asked Jeff like probably a year ago if we do the show, and he like ghosted me because he's like, I'm not doing that guy's show. <laughs> he really didn't trust me. He's like, I don't know what Darius will do on a show. Because I'm so I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna he's a fact finder. He wants to I, 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 I know I know you well enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna mitigate my risk. And not do his show till it's a proven entity, which is funny enough because we're going to be talking about seed investing, which is not about that at all. And he's all about betting on entrepreneurs early. So anyway, he was, but you know what the issue was, was he was like, I'm an operator in this if he's part of the show. So he's like, I'm not betting on Darius because he might, he might take me down to the dark side. Um, (laughs) Guys, um, those of you that are new to the show, we're about two things. We're about people that are living their passions and those that are creating greatness in the world, hence the name The Greatness Machine. And I guess got to say that, you know, I've known Jeff now for, let me see, I met you right before my 26th birthday, which means we've known each other for about a year. It's been about 12 months. No, exactly. no. We, 
Yeah, no, we met. We we won't talk about my 26th birthday because that was some crazy shit. But um, no, we we met. <laughs> Anyone that's watching the video, they're like, just saw his eyebrows go up. Um, no, um, there was a trolley. There was superheroes. There was bottles of champagne. And, I was wearing a cape. Um, what's that? I was wearing a cape. He was wearing a cape. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 that was the least of the shenanigans. So it was a lot of fun. Trolley. Let me just say this: Don't ride in a trolley with with a case of champagne going up the hills of San Francisco and expect to come out on the trolley. I'm just going to throw that out there. But um, no, uh, we, we've known each other, man. It's been about... What, Has there been anyone on your show that you've known more than me? Longer? Maybe like, yeah, you know, sister my, or a couple of sister, other folks. Yeah, my sister has been on the show. But I got to be at least like top five, right? You're, you're, you are top five. My, my friend Dara and my friend uh, Rich from high school and junior high school. So you're yeah, you're top five for sure. So awesome. it's... So, so yeah, we're almost two decades of friendship. And um, so we met, this is, I, I like to always, as you guys who listen to the show on a regular basis know, I always like to give origin stories. So I met Jeff through his wife and my wife, Kate and my wife, Mariah met, they went, they met in Mexico backpacking through like Mexico back in like the mid nineties when they were like just fresh out of high school. And then Jeff and his wife, Kate, who was my wife's friend moved to San Francisco from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And at the time, he was he was teaching at Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, and he had this really small little um, patent practice. I think it was just you. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it was just him, and he like went out west, out of the Midwest. He went west to try try his hand in the the new world of Silicon Valley. I knew two people west of the Mississippi. Who were those two people? <laughs> My Kate's best friend. And um, it, Mariah, you guys were in San Francisco at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, so it was two, two, Kate's two best friends. And that was it. So It so wasn't like, even like a direct, you know, it was like through Kate. That was it. <laughs> so so we're at dinner. This is, this is how. So it's my wife's friend's husband. So I'm like, it wasn't my wife. My girlfriend at the time. So I, you guys were married. And and my girlfriend and I were not married, but um, so we, we ended up going to dinner. I think we went to like Limon or somewhere in the in the in the Mission. I can't remember the exact restaurant, but it, it wasn't Limon. It was something similar to that. And so we go to dinner in the Mission. It was like Park Luna or something, Luna Park. And so we go to dinner, and um, and I'm telling him all about like that I'm an entrepreneur and 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 I'm, you know all these entrepreneurial things I'm doing and and we start kind of building friendship. I didn't know very much about you. And Jeff, when you first meet him, is you know, it's a little reserved, you know, maybe people are watching the show can tell right now until he, until he gets not reserved, but um, we're, we're, uh, we're at dinner and we ended up kind of striking up this like relationship around entrepreneurism. That was our, that was our common ground. Right. And, and so uh, you guys actually it was before you guys moved. This was before you guys moved. You guys, I think you guys came out on like a recon trip or something. Yep. Yeah. So, so then you guys came to my birthday. I had this like company that was just an insane little company. He starts his practice and I joined this organization called Entrepreneurs Organization in 2006. And I'm, I'm friend and, and I'm friendly with Jeff through my wife um, and through her, his wife. And I'm telling him all about this and I get him to join. And so he joins entrepreneur or entrepreneurs organization and in entrepreneurs organization for the listeners that don't know this, we have these things called confidentiality forums. And so I get Jeff to join my CEO confidentiality forum. Which is so brilliant. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was like literally like top 10 things I've done in the world. That was one of them. 
like it, it was it was awesome. It like ended up being this really valuable thing where relationship was built. And so, so I mean, arguably, like although Kate and uh, his wife and my wife Mariah were friends from many years ago, I think we're better friends. Honestly, I think we got them now. I, I think I think we're winning in this in the in the yes. competition of friends. In the front right. <laughs> but yeah, we end up joining this 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 uh, CEO group and man. I remember exactly where I was um, standing in the hallway, like outside. I had this tiny little office. It wasn't big enough to have a conference room. And so I always had to step out into like the office hallway. And you're like, you really should join. And I was like, but I'm, I'm not at this threshold yet. And you're like, you will be. And it was this nice little leap of faith. And you had kind of extended your arm across the chasm and kind of pulled me across. And it was an enormous moment for me. Like there was, I, I moved out to San Francisco. Um, I had a small little practice in Ann Arbor, um, but I was already representing most of the startups. I do patent work for startups. And the um, there was just really no room to grow. I mean, I was doing like most of the work and it was just me. And so I didn't want this huge firm, but I knew I wanted something beyond me. I, I have a relator strength and I, I love to be able to build within a team and to be able to accomplish great things as, a, as, as part of a team. And moved out. And really struggled because I had no name. I had no brand. I you know, went to schools that were in the Midwest or on the East Coast and that didn't carry very far. I didn't have a network. And so really struggled, um, hustled for many, many years. Um, and then at about the time that the firm became an overnight success seven years later um, was about the time that I joined EO. And you know, you and many of the things that I learned from your entrepreneurial experiences were just kind of helped you know, rocket ship us forward. It was enormously influential. So I take, I take full credit for Jeff's success. You should. In case, in case anyone wants to know why Shock's um, patent group and his venture capital um, <laughs> proclivity for being an amazing venture capitalism, venture capitalist is uh, any success I get full credit for. Sure. So, sure. <laughs> so I, you know, I didn't even, we haven't even talked about what you do or how you do it unless people looked it up. I, I just, I'm going to read your bio. Do you mind if I do that? Go for it. Okay. I'm going to read it. And I, I read it earlier. I'm like, oh, who wrote this piece of garbage? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is totally, Certainly not my PR team. Yeah. Your PR team have. is totally down for me. <laughs> like, like in a major way. Like I, you know how many, I, I, I got into clubhouse earlier this year and I got to hang out with all these posers and, you know, and they're like, I mean, they literally could have like opened a door and they would have told you they invented doors. And, and like, you're like, <laughs> and just like, no, I actually do invent things to help people who invent things, like bring them to life. But you guys, like Jeff Shocks is the founder of Shocks Patent Group. And they're a boutique patent firm focused on startups. And he's also a general partner at Trucks VC and also Shocks VC, which we'll be talking about that. And this funds entrepreneurs building the future of transportation. That's at least the Trucks VC side. Um, previously, Jeff worked as an engineer. And we'll be talking a little bit about how he got into what he got into. But man, the guy like went back. What do you have, like three engineering degrees? Isn't that something? Just two. Just two. Yeah, yeah, some insane number. It's a, but you went back after, which is the, the, yes, the, I was the weird part. Yes. And, and, um, and he's also a professor at Stanford, right? And you were also a professor at University of Michigan before this. So, so you know... Uh, and what it doesn't say is this is Jeff basically is like cherry picking the best startups, which are now not, like a lot of the names we're going to talk about are names everyone's going to know. And you're doing their patent work. And, and we're talking about companies like Coinbase. Uh, if memory serves me right, you were investor number one and did the patent work for a small little company. What's it called? Twilio. Yeah. Uh, Twilio. Yeah. I mean, you're working with like, I mean, whenever I describe Jeff, 
to people, which is a lot, actually. As I say, you know, he's basically like the number one boutique patent law firm in the Silicon Valley. And 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 I don't think that that's a stretch by any, any stretch of the imagination for me to say that. I mean, you're doing some insane work. I named two or three companies and the list is like an insane number. So, I mean, man... I'm just so proud of of everything you've done in your business and what and what you continue to do and and I'm an investor in his funds and and I I don't know anything about autonomous vehicles or the patents that he write he he his other fund shocks.bc we'll talk about in a second he writes checks like and 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 I can't wait to talk about like your your methodology on this but essentially he writes checks into the people he's doing the patent work and 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 like that's almost like a qualification for someone that becomes a client is he has to be willing to give them money like it's the total opposite of what people do when they get clients most people get clients they go give me your money jeff's like um i won't give you my money so you can't be my client it's totally backwards but it just goes to show you like where his head's at. He only wants to work with the best of the best. But man, do you mind giving us like a background on like how you got into what you got into? Because it's such an insane story. I really want to share it with the audience. There's a few different like, kind of angles of this. And I've tried to kind of stitch it together. Um, my story is weird in the sense that like I'm a patent attorney that does venture capital. And we're a patent firm that is kind of like a venture fund, but is still a patent firm. And all that's like really strange. Um, my arc into patent law, um, I was, both my parents were automotive engineers. Um, they met literally in the backseat of a car. Um, my mom was working on like vinyl seats and my dad was working on like cup holders or something. And they met in the backseat of a Barracuda. Um, and so like that was their origin story. I was born like nine months later. Um, and you know, I grew up outside of Detroit. I was going to be an automotive engineer. And while a bunch of my friends were flipping burgers during their summers, you know, in college, like I, I had a, this incredible opportunity to work at General Motors. And the first summer I was working on their electric vehicle, which is like 1991, 1992 era. Um, I was not the one who killed the electric vehicle, um, but like I was the one who worked on it. And then a little bit, like a couple summers after that, like I got to see this huge piece about like what General Motors was and this enormous company. And I was like, well, how do you like move on? And like, how do you get noticed? And like, how do you like become something important here? And it's like, oh, well, you got to go to the same church with the boss and you got to do golfing over here and you got to do this. And none of that seemed like actual, like, oh, like meritocracy. It seemed the exact opposite. And so I was like, all right, I need to go into something where it's a service oriented, like where like I get paid for like my work and my time, like my, my effort. And so I pivoted my career into patent law. And I went out east uh, to law school, came back to the Midwest and wrote a bunch of hundreds of patent applications for the automotive industry. And um, I looked around and I was like, I love what I do, this challenge. I have, a, I have a knack and that knack is like to look at stuff that are really complicated and to tease out what's different and to be able to predict the value of that difference. And that knack, I was really good at and I applied it to inventions and so like, it's really great for a patent attorney to have that knack because then you know what to write on and you know how to talk about it. And you take this super complicated idea and you turn it into a patent application that's successful at the patent office and your clients love you. Um, I was really good at that. And I knew I was really good at that. I was efficient and I was to be able to do high quality work. Um, but I kind of hated like who I worked with and I kind of hated who I worked for. And I was like, how do I like, how do I not like lose my soul in all this. 
um, I didn't have any entrepreneurial bent to me. Like I didn't have any entrepreneurial role models, um, but I decided I was going to start my own firm. And so I start my own firm um, and I wanted to land all these big client, big companies because this was my network and none of them wanted to work with me. I'm a tiny little upstart law firm that you know just started two months ago. None of them would give me any work. Jeff, we'd love to work with you. We just can't be your first client and you need to be you know in the industry for five years. It would have been great had they told me this before I started my firm, but they didn't. And so I learned that after. And then so I scrambled and I and ended up landing a couple of startups. Um, and the couple startups after that were like, well, we can't pay you. We can't afford to pay you. Can you do it on equity? And the first 10 times I did this, it all went to zero. Like it was just like absolute shit. And like, it was, um, thankfully Kate, my wife, my life partner was like, Hey, you'll get this. You'll figure it out. Um, keep on going. You know, despite the fact that you're working all these hours and you didn't make any money and all the stock that you got paid in, like went to zero, like keep on going. Like I, I have faith in this. And so I realized that like, we, we just needed to be really good and very selective with like who we worked with. There's 10,000 startups. I needed to pick the best ones. And so I shadowed a few people. I learned, you know, I read as many books as I possibly could. And so I added this other skill. This other skill though happened to be like right within my knack because my knack is like, like how do I find, take something really complicated, tease out the differences and put a future value on that. And I took that from inventions and I applied it to startups. And so, and when I did that, I was able to like see, I was kind of like seeing through the matrix and I was like, oh, I could now see these things and I could see patterns. It wasn't like I shot hundred percent. Nobody shoots hundred percent in venture, but I was shooting much better than anyone else was. And once we started building momentum and we started building great companies and we built great clients and we made some great investments that all just kind of like snowballed upward and spiraled upward. We were the first investor in Twilio. Uh, we, they were a great client um, because every year we ended up doing more and more work. Um, and we had a couple that were like that, you know, Cruise and Duo and Joby and Coinbase. Um, like we were able to have this like beautiful string of doing great high quality work. And I was pretty decent at picking clients. Um, it turned out that after a while, after we built the brand, like we had, we were flooded with hundreds and hundreds of potential clients. And I had to do this really well. How do I pick the one in a hundred? Most law firms just take anyone who comes to you. It's a scarcity model. It's based out of fear. And I flipped that and had this abundance model um, where we were able to really carefully choose the clients that we work with. Um, and I found out that most of my team you know, like they do great work when they're passionate about the clients that they work with. Yeah. And they do great work when they share an investment in that company. And that's what we do. Oh, man. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Dude, I love it. And and I just want to, uh, I'm going to rewind all the way back to the beginning part of, of what you're saying. Uh Anyone that missed that, Jeff said his parents met in the back of a Barracuda and nine months later he was born. Um, so <laughs> I was like, was it on the job? I mean, this is getting pretty sexy here. No. <laughs> Do they work together at GM? Is that how? And at, at Chrysler. Yeah, right. my mom was the, the first engineer, uh, female engineer at Chrysler. Wow. I'm sorry. I could. I, I was like, I'm, I'm waiting three minutes to say that. Um <laughs> But but so so fast forward right, uh, and this is such a great entrepreneurial entrepreneurial story. Uh, the people that you thought would do business with you when you were working at the bigger firm that they were your clients were like, oh yeah, we got you, man. Like yeah, we can't wait to you do great work, Jeff. We can't wait to support you. And then you went on your own, and they're like, oh sorry, boss, my vendor management said I can't work with some scrub like you. Like, it was like 
I, I had the, the worst panic attacks in my life right at that moment. I left a job that I was on the fast track to partner, like the youngest partner ever to be, you know, I was on that track. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this on my own. Like, look at all these contacts here. I'm totally fine. I'm set up for life. Like, I got this. Like, Kate, don't worry about it. Like, honey, there's nothing to worry about. Like, we're, we're fine. And then like had those meetings like the week after that I started the firm and had quit and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I know I said that, I, but I checked with management and I can't do it. Yeah. So, you know, about those. Brutal. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, I have a buddy who was on the show who he kind of had a similar story. And this is such an entrepreneurial story where his he went and started his own fund. His first investor was supposed to be Warren Buffett, who was going to write him a $10 million check. He left, went to go get the 10 mil. And Buffett's like, nope not going to give it like i'm not investing and like after that like, like literally like he did this exact same thing but now you know necessity is the mother of, all, of of invention right of all invention so you you end up like now you're now you don't have, the contacts that you do have they're not your clients so you can't say oh hey come join me i got this other badass mm-hmm. my client so you're like oh who i gotta get business so you go to like to the guys with no money <laughs> and who are s- startups right and those become your clients. Strike out on a bunch of them because they got they're paying you in like paper. Yep. And 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 then there was another moment there though, that, and this is a fun little story as well. And so one of these potential um, clients came to me and was like, "Hey, um, I need some help with this." And it was a copyright issue. Now, patent attorneys like often stretch into copyright law. They stretch into trade secret law. They trade you know stretch into trademark law. And so it's not uncommon at all. But I was like, you know what? I'm not an expert in copyright law, but I know um, Susan Cornfield, who is a friend of mine, like she could do a great job. She could do in 10 minutes what I would do in 10 hours. Like you should go see her. And so he does. He's super thankful. She's super thankful. And she's like, why didn't you just take this work? And I was like, because I'm not the expert. Like you're the expert, you know, and, and this wouldn't have been the best thing for this particular potential client. And she's like, huh. Our firm doesn't do patent work. What about we give you all these clients? Wow. And it was like this moment of just like giving, you know, one X and getting a hundred X like back. And it was, I mean, she was certainly like the angel of the law firm and just like helped make that happen. And it was, I mean, it was purely like I was just trying to do the right thing. And she recognized that. So that was a nice additional little origin story there. Were you still in Michigan when, when those two? Yep, that was in Ann Arbor. Yep. So, so you're in Ann Arbor, you're working, uh, you're you're like, you know, like startup mode, like totally trying to make it happen. You give away business when you need yes. money. I'm assuming you need yes. money, right? Yes. I was, just, I was also going to school. This is when I went back to get a degree. And so like I'm, I have all this money going out the door. I had a really nice salary that went to zero. And I started the firm. I'm trying to get, you know, trying to build a firm. And like one of the first couple of clients that comes in the door, I send out. Wow. And everyone that's listening, they're like, this guy's out of his mind. <laughs> like, like I would, I, I mean, I seriously, when you were saying that, I'm like, I would have taken the client. But, but, but now this is, this is, you know, this is a scarcity versus abundance mentality, which I will honestly admit is, is a, is a Achilles heel for me. Right. And so, you have this abundance mentality. Honestly, I, maybe I would have passed it along if I, if I really did know someone who was who was best for. But um, you passed along, and how much like how much business would you estimate? I mean, that patent work was or that copyright work was what fifteen twenty grand maybe. 
Yeah, I mean barely, and yeah, maybe ten. Yeah, and, and what, do you, what do you think you got back from that? From that, movie? no joke, like half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, you heard it, you heard it here. Uh, ten grand for half a mil ski. So you get the you get the half a mil, and and that's and but but uh, you know I'm going to say this. I've known Jeff now, like I said, for about seventeen years, and. I feel like your entire career is that is what you just said. Like that is literally like if I was to sum up an entire career, which, which it, you're going to hear, I, I, have you done many podcasts, Jeff? Um, only a handful. Okay. And like my, my mom used to say like, you know, she, I'm the only one that like can travel through like a tunnel of shit and like come out the other side and be like, look at all this gold that I got along the way. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what that means, but yeah, that's, there, that's well, what there, she likes to say. There, there's this like, uh, oh God, I'm I'm gonna butcher the joke, but it's like a joke where it's like this kid's like filled a room filled with shit, and the kid's in there, and he's like, you know, comes out and he's pissed. Uh, I'm 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 doing what I do best, butchering stories right now. Uh, scratch that, everybody. But uh, yeah, if I remember it, I'll say it. It's a funny story about like having a positive mentality, uh, which you would clearly have. Um, so yeah, like you you kept that positive mentality. You end up getting rewarded for it. But what I was gonna say is that. Your entire career—that's really a metaphor for your career. And and I'm gonna—I want—I love taking credit for stuff, so I'm gonna take full credit right here now. Like Jeff is gonna be one of the like the most successful. He is already very successful in his own right, and from a venture capital standpoint. But it's gonna be one of those names where it's gonna be like, like when you hear about Kleiner Perkins. This is like a Jeff Shocks. I'm I'm honestly, I mean, I'm an investor in two of his funds, three of his funds actually. And I'm like, I told him the other day, I said, every dollar I get, I'm putting back in your fund, and like any, and, and I'm getting like we're you know we're early still but we're getting some pretty cool returns and and i'm just like i can't wait for him to get to have more funds because i'm i'm a firm believer that because of your approach and the way and how thoughtful you are i think this is this really comes down to having a value around thoughtfulness man you're probably one of the most thoughtful people i know and so and it's now being rewarded to you in the form of business so I mean, I just think that's really incredible. And, and, and that example you gave is it really just is a metaphor for who you are as a human being. So if you wouldn't mind, like walk us through, like you're in Ann Arbor, you're starting to get some traction and then you're like, Hey, I have a good idea. I'm going to move to a new city where I don't know anybody and just start over. Like this is, like, I got a professor gig here at university of Michigan. I got my practice. It's starting to get some momentum. I have a great idea. I'm going to totally shit can all that. And I'm going to move to California and start from scratch. Like walk us through. Most, yeah. Most of my great ideas weren't actually mine, but they were Kate's. Um, and so this is, um, Hey, I thought we we're going to be in Ann Arbor three years. It's been six. Um, I'm going to move to California. I'd really like you to come with me, but it's not a deal breaker if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how long were you married for at this point? Maybe like two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, mind you, my, my girlfriend at the time was telling me like every 60 to 90 days that she was moving to a new city. Probably, she was probably taking, they were on the same playbook, I think. Totally, totally. <laughs> and so um, I had built this thing, right? And so it was comfortable, like I was teaching um, my network, like the investing that I was doing, the, the law firm, everything was great. And she's like, hey, let's do this. And um to me, like I had to take a step back and just be like, all right, well, you know, what can I build? This is, you know, San Francisco is the startup capital of the world. And if I'm already representing most of the startups here, like what can I do? Like, is there something that I could help out more? Is there something that I could build? Is there some kind of skill that I could have that I couldn't have in Ann Arbor? And of course, the answer to all those questions was yes. And it was an incredible leap of faith. 
And I told Kate, I'm like, look, I, I need you to be able to have, you know, some responsibility for being able to pay the bills. This could be a while. Frankly, it was. It was like six or seven years. And I mean, like I was hustling. I was going to meetups just to have the two minute pitch at the end of like a two hour meetup and be like, hey, my name is Jeff. I do patents. You know, come see me. Here's my business card. I was doing that once a day, twice a day, you know, every day of the week for years and years and years. In and San Francisco so was, or in our in San Francisco okay, after so, we moved. So you so you moved. So I moved about I moved about a year after I started my firm. Okay, and so, so I still did a lot of work in Ann Arbor. This is 04. 04. Okay. So 04, you're about a year into, and was it called Shaxx, Shox Patent at that point? It was very close. It okay. had my name, but it was like Shox PLC at the time. Got it. So, so, so you started it, you're a year in, you're, you moved to San Francisco in 04. You are, and, and now you're like literally hustling at meetups. Like, and, and San Francisco back then, what's interesting is this. And I, and I tell the story a lot. I, I said, like when, when people hear about San Francisco now or Silicon Valley now, it's like, well, yeah, like there's tons of startups. Like, like this is the like the startup capital of the world, as you just said. Oh my mm-hmm. god, yeah, entrepreneurs everywhere. And I was like, dude, I was the only entrepreneur I knew when I moved to San Francisco in 2001. You know, it was not like it is now. I mean, obviously, it, it, there there was the ecosystem existed, but it's not what it became in .com 2.0. I mean, it was a much smaller community back then. What was it like when you got there? Um, I mean, a lot of it was still centered in like Silicon Valley, like down like San Jose and like you know Stanford area, and it hadn't moved up yet to San Francisco. Um, we decided to live in San Francisco. That's where we that's where we landed, um, and it was harder. Um, and I honestly like had to do just a ton of hustling, and you know trying to build up. I got a couple of of great clients, and um, some of those you know we were able to invest in. Um, a lot of those didn't work out. There was a lot of clean tech 1.0 type of wave that we did. You know, Mission Motors was electric motorcycle um, that was super high flying for a moment. Like it was kind of the Tesla of motorcycles. Then a couple of others that were like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a slog. And like I kept there was moments of doubt of just like, is this going to work? I remember reading um, Mrs. Godin's uh, dip which is a short, cute little pamphlet um, type of book. And it was just like, how do you, you know, how long do you sit in something? How long do you go after something? And like, when is it that you're going to succeed? And, you know, there was, there was definitely many years there that it was, um, I had, you know, some regret or envy of like my peers and where they were and now they were partners and they had these particular positions. Um, and it wasn't anything about like, oh, I'm my own boss. That was like super exciting. You know, it just wasn't like that wasn't why I did it. And so that's not my personality. And so um, but I knew what I was doing was like was right. And I knew that I was doing great work. And one of my core values is long termism and to have a super long term view on things. And, you know, when, you know, not too many years after I started my firm, you know, they're like, well, what are you building? And I'm like, I'm building a 30 year law firm. And it turns out like that wasn't, that wasn't long enough, you know, like 30 years sounds like a ridiculously long time. And now it's like, I should have said 50 or a hundred. Um, and so like, but like, it was something where I was like, I want to build something really lasting and I want to build relationships and want to build brand. That's going to take a long, long, long time. 
very different than the era that we're in now. And just in terms of like how quick, you know, something can go viral and how quick a brand can actually emerge. Um, but I wanted to build just like something that had, um, that took a long time to build and was really hard to do that. And that's exactly what I did. And at around seven, eight years, we became a overnight success. Yeah. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment. And you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end. And it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's DariusScale.com. And now back to the show. So you, you got to San Francisco and you said you started investing in, in clients. And, and, and I, remember, I actually remember when you, when you invested in Mission Motors. Um, and so, so walk us through this idea of investing in your clients. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, what the hell are these guys even talking about? Like, how do you invest in your clients? Like, can you kind of walk us through that methodology a little bit? Yeah, so there's kind of two stages of that. Um, one stage that was a disaster, and then this other stage that was a tremendous success. The first stage that was a disaster was we don't have cash. Can we pay you in equity? And you know that should have been red flags everywhere. And everyone who's listening or watching is going to be like, yeah, that sounds really bad. But at the time, like remember, like I was struggling and I was like trying to build a brand. And so of course, like biz dev, like hey, here's a company can't pay, but they can pay in equity. Maybe that's good enough. And so that's what I was doing. Um, and in that phase, you want to work with startups that could raise money. Like you don't want to work with startups that could only raise money from a patent attorney. Like that's that's just like a bad, like it should have been a red flag everywhere. Um, but like, that's what I ended up doing was like taking equity. And then at some point I realized like, all right, I need to be much smarter and not take equity in lieu of, of cash, but rather take the cash and then sit down and write a check. I want to invest in your company. Can I write out a check for $25,000 out of my personal bank account? Mind, mindful, I wasn't doing great back then. $25,000 was an enormous amount of money. That was basically half the cash we had in our bank account. Wow. Like, you know, so like, can we do this? And like the discipline that it takes, the like deliberateness that it takes, the intention that it takes around like, hey, this is how much I believe in this particular company. And again, super huge kudos to Kate for being unbelievably supportive and patient during that entire phase. Um, but we were the first investor in Twilio and it's a $60 billion company. now. 
Yeah, I, 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 lo- I love that. And are you still you still have any of that stock, or have you exited? A little bit. I um, I sold most of it. It's the building that we're I'm standing in right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, in Central Business District of San Francisco, thirty thousand square foot building. So it's a little Twilio stock. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, the, the the Twilio thing. So what was like? Where were they? That was. Were you still in Ann Arbor when you invested with them? That, that was. That um, so was, they approached us. Um, must have been maybe like 08, 09. Yeah, it was 08. Um, they approached us in 08. Okay, wow. And okay. so um, that was like, that was one of the first checks that I wrote. Wow. Um, it was kind of like starting a transition out of this like equity for services model into like, you know, writing a check. And, and so, so yeah, obviously that one was, you know, being, you were their first investor, is that correct? Yes. So, so being the first investor of, you said $60 billion company? Yes. Yeah, like 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 that's, I mean, I mean, obviously that wasn't your first. You had written a lot of checks in the in the form of your time, right? Which kind of le- leads way to the next part of the conversation, which goes to like, how do you angel invest? But I don't, before we go there, though, you know, you started writing checks. Would you say out of out of ten clients that you would take, were you writing checks for all ten of them? Um, a decent number of them, maybe um, like 20%, 30%, something like that. Um, at this point now, where it's like closer to 70 or 80. Um, but yeah, that's at that point, it was probably flipped. Maybe it was like 20 or 30%. So I just so, didn't have the cash, honestly. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, you're like, you just said it. You're like, I was half my cash to write a $25,000 check. Well, and that was that the smallest check that they would take? Is that how you Yes, came that out? was a problem, right? Because like anything less than that, like it wasn't even worth like the legal fees to like handle the, you know, handle the check. Right. So, so, so you're, so you're writing, so you're writing these $25,000 checks. You're, you're being really choosy. The other 70% of clients are what people you wish you could write checks for, but you just have some of them were, yeah, some of them were, or some of them that I wish I, um, I would have had, I had a fund or, you know, had the cash, um, for sure. And we were super, you know, at some point, like when we had this like moment, you know, this elbow where things were a success, um, we, we had a lot of super exciting clients that we were working with. What can you name like like the I mean you named Joby and and obviously a couple of these other names Twilio Coinbase what what are some of the big dogs you've worked with I know you've been, you've you've been a pro, are you allowed to talk about who you work with or is that like confidential Yeah I mean most of this I mean there's a bunch of this that's on our website but whether it's like an Amada or a Ginger both of those are in digital health um, Ginger just merged uh, with Headspace just yesterday. Um, you know Amada's a billion dollar company and we were there early on and did their patent work. Um, that's kind of on the health space side. We've done a lot on the health diagnostics as well. Um, quite a few companies, whether it's Celsi or Pneumotics or Acury, um, those all had really nice, like multi-hundred million dollar you know, types of exits. Um, I think a lot in the transportation space and robotics. Um, so we did um, Cruise's patent work and I was an early investor in Cruise and we did Joby's patent work, um, the aircraft, um, and we we're investor through trucks. And then um, a decent amount on the software side, you know, whether that was Coinbase or Twilio or Duo. We actually wrote a patent application for Canva and for Plaid. Um, and so, we, you know, we've been involved with quite a few billion or multi-billion dollar you know, types of exits. And, and, was it, um, and was it that you got these deals like before like obviously it took time to build the reputation now they're now you're, you guys turn down work you know right like like you're 90 percent of the time nine out of ten pieces of i mean it's funny i'll send jeff business and he's like 
sorry, man, I can't take them. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, it's good, good for you, bad for them. They, they need to have a cooler company, I guess. Um, I, I, I want to go to talk a little bit about Stanford. So you, so you leave. So you're, were you still teaching at University of Michigan? When oh, this is a fun little story too. Yeah. So I went back to get a degree in electrical engineering because I knew that most of the mechanical world was moving electrical and you know moving in that direction. And so I was like, all right, I need to be able to speak this language. I'm going to go back. Uh, my undergrad was mechanical and my master's was, was electrical. And while I was there, I was like, I should probably just teach. There's this class that was there that this professor left. And so I was teaching like a full-on teacher and a student which is really weird. They didn't know what to do with me. Like what kind of like, you know, what kind of hat or badge or, you know, am I supposed to be wearing? Um, like, am I allowed in the teacher's lounge or not allowed in the teacher's lounge? You know, like it was very confusing for them. Um, but anyway, so I was there, I was teaching patent law and I had this little class of built up from like 40 to 80. And then I left and I was like, when I moved out to, uh, to the Bay area, I was like, Oh, I'm going to teach at Berkeley, you know, Berkeley and the university of Michigan, very similar in many, many ways. And so I, put together this beautiful package of like, here's the Dean's letter and recommendation. And like all these students, like, you know, recommendations and here's all my materials. They didn't even respond. Like I didn't even get a like, thanks for the application or, Hey, this is cute or better luck next time. Like I didn't even get a response. And so they came out to the Bay area with a tail between my legs. Like, Oh, this is going to be really hard. One of my students um, ends up getting, um, which I found out at the very last day, she's like, oh, you said in your class that you're moving out to the Bay Area, like I'm going to Stanford. And I was like, oh, let's keep in touch. She ends up being my first employee and like setting the gold you know, standard for everyone after that. Um, but she's at Stanford and she has the ear of the dean of engineering. And, and he's like, hey, you just went to Michigan. Like what classes are they teaching at Michigan that we should be teaching here at Stanford? And she's like, oh, my God, I took this great class on patent law and my professor moved here. You should go. You should talk to him. Three days later, I'm talking to David Kelly and David Kelly is the, uh, the founder of the design school at Stanford. And we're talking about like growing up in the Midwest, 15 minutes into the interview, which I didn't even know was an interview. He's like, you got the job. And they started weeks after that. And so like no resume, like no like package, like no nothing. I was like, oh. Welcome to Silicon Valley. Yeah, I love it, man. How long? How long have you been teaching there now? Fifteen years. Yeah, it's and 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 it's it's ama- It's been amazing to watch that that you know, especially if you're being an entrepreneur and you're like grinding, building your business, and then you got this thing where, you know, it's not entrepreneurial to be a professor. Obviously, you <laughs> you've figured out ways to help it with your business, but but th- that is such that it, again, this is just like, you know, not taking no for an answer, right? And and doing the right thing. You know, you did the right thing in Michigan. Yeah, some of that was just luck and some of that was, you know, privilege and some of that was just like being in the right place at the right time. And some of that was like jumping on an opportunity. Like that's not what I needed was to like create a new course at Stanford. Um, but I was playing a super long-term game that like, hey, if I have 80 students every single quarter who know who I am and they stay in the Bay Area and they're starting companies, eventually this is going to have an impact on my reputation. And it also turned out that like some of those students would end up like joining my firm and like becoming employees. One of those is my partner, Diana. Um, she was a student of mine 11 years ago. Wow. How, how many of your clients have you invested in? Or excuse me, how many of your students have gone to startups and you've actually invested in their company? Quite a few, actually. I mean, I could, I could think of about like a half a dozen just off of the top of my head. And so, yeah, my guess is quite a few. 
Oh, but it's yeah. more it's more than that. I mean, it's just I mean, some of those are you know founders, but a lot of them like become you know first engineer or you know the tenth employee somewhere. Um, you know, like that's how we got the Coinbase work was you know like through something very similar to that. The, the tentacles of shocks run deep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to go and uh, we got about fifteen minutes left. I know I know we got a hard stop here, but I want to go into the world of angel investing. So Jeff, Jeff and I, we were at his son's birthday a few years ago, and he was doing some stuff on uh, Angel List, and he was like, you know, trying to figure out how to raise uh, raise a fund, right? Ra- raise an angel fund, a venture fund, and and he said something to me. He's like. Yeah, he's like, you know, like I'm looking at, like, I do their patent work so I can see how, you know, it, it, it ups my odds of success when I invest because I, you know, you're figuring out how they're going to be successful from an intellectual property standpoint, right? From like you understand from a mechanical standpoint what the hell it is that they're trying to do. And then to your point, you could see how does that fit in with the market? Where's there a gap and can they solve for that? And then you're betting on the entrepreneur. But, um, you know, you took that little, you know, this idea of placing bets on your clients and have turned this into, you know, arguably we're going on like a hundred million dollars plus of venture that you've raised so far. You guys are getting there, you know, um, tell us a little bit about that. And I want to, and then one of the other thing I really love to touch on is, is your methodology and like what your thoughts are on how to be successful in this area. I think seed investing is like an absolutely fascinating challenge. I mean, you have to have just like full on IQ and full on EQ and just like hope that both of the parts of your brains are firing on all cylinders and hope that it all works out and you get a half an hour or an hour to work with a you know, particular entrepreneur. Um, you have to move quick. You have to make decisions and you have to try to do it with both like your brain and your gut. It's really hard. It's hard to do well. You get a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety that kind of like tie up into it. And just I love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> um, the, you know, what we look for is great founders, like great people. Can we trust this particular person to do what they say they're going to do? And can we trust that this person's going to be incredibly persistent and just like run through walls? And, um, you know, are they going to be charismatic enough to be able to get, you know, to get to hire? Hiring is so hard right now. Are they going to be charismatic enough to be able to raise money? Um, and they're going to be trustworthy that people stay and work hard. You know, you don't want a salesperson at the lead, but you don't need, you know, someone that's been in the lab for the last 10 years either. And so, like, we're, we're looking for that particular, like, roundness around a founder. I think insight is incredibly important. You know, is there something that is counterintuitive, some contrarian idea that was really only that founder that could come up with that? You know, she had this experience in another industry and she's going to apply it now over here. Or these two founders had very complementary skills that came together and then they were able to build something incredibly important. Um, like that insight is unbelievably important um, that it's do it's different and that that difference actually has an enormous amount of value. But the third thing that is so unbelievably important is timing. And that's the thing that like you need to be able to see, is this the right time to be able to build this company so that five years from now, when they're really, really hitting it, that they've gone beyond early adopters and the mass market is going to be ready for this five years from now. And being able to predict that five years in the future is unbelievably hard. Um, 
being able to study industries and be able to see how they move. A lot of my patent work isn't really around inventions, but is really about the timing of inventions and the timing of industries and the movement of industries. And so I bring a lot of that kind of just general industry knowledge of like how things move like over time, like to this as work. And so this founder, this insights, this timing, call it fit because it's kind of cute. Um, but like that's what I, I kind of view as like how do you do like seed stage testing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So two two questions about that. So first of all, how do you, I mean, I find, you know, I've futuristics, one of my top 10 strengths. So I find them always really early, right? Like really, really early. Um, a, a good example is blockchain and mortgage, right? I come from mortgage background and a lot of stuff that's happening right now. I was you like, talked about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, so if you get into it 10 years ago, by the time 2021 hits where it's just now hitting barely, yep. You're, you've been burnt out for five years. Like how but I, saw, I saw that in the patent world, right? So I saw inventions that we would be filing on inventions and then like they would try to make products and those products wouldn't work. And I would go back and I'd be like, damn it, that was a great invention. Like this was absolutely patentable. It was a brilliant founder, great technologist. Why did this fail? And then my brain finally put it together. I was like, oh, it's just the wrong time. Yeah, it's and it was a huge, it's a huge factor. And like, you have to have the right founding team. You have to have the right insight, but you have to have the right timing of it. And so I learned as a technologist, as, as someone who always worked with like cutting edge things, that sometimes it's too early. Is there, is there any advice you would give to founders or entrepreneurs around, you know, cause especially a lot of entrepreneurs are idea monkeys and they're coming up and they're seeing stuff. They're like, Oh, this is the best way to fix that. And then they fix it and everyone's like, yeah, we don't care. Like, we're just, it's so much easier if us just do it the hard way. Darius, this is so hard because if they're going to be able to convince other people, those other people are probably early adopters. And it's not the early adopters that matter with respect to timing. It's the other side of the chasm that matters with respect to timing. And so electric vehicles, General Motors came up with this in the early 90s. Yeah. Decades, decades before it was ready. And so, yes, battery technology has increased dramatically. Yes, that's why we could do this now, and we couldn't do it back in the '90s. Um, but like, it's not like this is a new idea. Um, but like, we had to wait for the right timing for all of this to happen. Yeah, and like, we, like Elon Musk didn't invent Tesla; it was a company no. he took over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? it's a nice little known fact, a little known fact. But yes, co-founder, but not really. Yeah, but he kind of bought it for scrap. <laughs> yes. Um, my other question for you, um, and, and we got time for probably one more question for me is, um, what, you know, you said something once, you know, we were, we were actually in Michigan and, and I had a friend who was talking to you about angel investing and he's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to bet on a few companies. And you're like, don't do it unless you can bet on at least 40. And, and it was like, and, and when, and, and that was a total earth, like shaking, like my brain was like. It, it totally changed, redefined the way I thought about startups because I'm in the entrepreneurial world. People hit me up all the time to invest in stuff. And I'm like, but I can't make 39 other bets. 
<laughs> so I, so I'm like, I'm not making zero. I'm going to make zero. And that's actually one of the reasons I like investing in your funds. Cause I don't think about it. I'm like, Oh, he's because you get to make 40 investments. Yeah. You'll, you'll make the 40 by making one. Yeah. But can you, uh, and the, the analogy you used when you taught our form, this was about the high school, right? Could you mind maybe t- teaching this? Cause it's, it's such a, yeah, so I, I, I like that one. I think it still works. I, I came up with this a few years ago and I think it still makes sense. So given it's high school of a thousand people, and you're trying, and one of those people, one of those students is going to turn out to have wealth in the 50 to $100 million type of range, not because they inherited it, because they made it. That's generally one in a thousand will become, you know, the top like 0.1%. Um, kind of makes sense. Um, and so when you, like, when you think of that, like, who would you bet on within a, a high school? Maybe um, it's the theater geek. Um, you know, she's got incredible talent. She's got a beautiful voice. Um, she's got great style. And she's going to be an actress in Hollywood. Fabulous. You know, maybe it's the quarterback. Um, he's got unbelievable talent. Um, he's going to get picked up and he's going to play in the NFL someday. You know, maybe it's the quant. Um, she's going to go on to Wall Street and she's going to start a private equity firm. Um, but who would you bet on? And like, we don't know which one out of high school. I mean, I don't know who was the most voted, most successful, to, you know, in your high school. Um, unless they voted you, they got it wrong. Um, I know they got it wrong at my high school. Um, and so like, that was like the, like, they didn't get it right. Like, so who would you bet on? Well, damn it. If you could bet on 10 people or 15 or 20 And even if you reduce the amount of money that you made because you made 20 bets instead of one, like you're starting to get much better odds. Now, if you stretch that out to all thousand, um, it doesn't make any sense. If you stretch it to, you know, narrow it to a hundred, you're probably going to get the person who's going to have extreme wealth, but you stretched it over a hundred. And so what is that right number, you know, that you would want to place this many bets and um, knowing that like you're only going to put one twentieth into this person or one thirtieth into this person or one fortieth. So you're going to dilute your like your revenue and you're going to have all these other costs because the other twenty nine or thirty nine aren't going to make it. But that right there is called portfolio. It's a portfolio theory. And in the end, you will make up more money by consistently making 40 investments instead of one or three. So so right now when. And, it, I, and I, I follow that and I appreciate that right now when you're making those 30, 40 bets, I mean, sh- you know, trucks fund one, you guys did what? 25 bets, 32, right? 32, 32. And then trucks fund two. How many are you guys going to make? Probably about the same pace, somewhere around 36, 30, 36, somewhere around there. So in order for you guys to make those 30 to 36 bets, how many high school people do you need to look at <laughs> a lot of high schools like the entire state right yeah. and so um i mean just a lot we'd look at a thousand companies to make 10 investments wow so you guys are literally picking what is that is that one percent yeah it's one in a hundred one percent so so and so the other 99 you're looking at these are not like these aren't slouches these are like a lot Correct. of legit good companies Correct. and you're probably missing some winners in there for sure awesome. we're missing a few um you know but the what we're trying to do is reduce our odds from one in a thousand odds to like one in ten odds and hopefully we have four winners you know, or three winners 
And those three winners are going to for sure pay for all the other 27 that don't make it. And they're going to return really, really well. This you know, venture game is a crazy power law. And so you want to be in the winners. To be in the winners, you have to place a couple of bets. There's so many things that could take down a, a startup. And, you know, a big part was timing, big part is founders, a big part is did they get the insight right? But there are literally thousands and thousands of other reasons I could take down a startup. And so you need to, to, to make several investments. My wife sometimes calls this just like gambling, um, but like a dart thrower, professional dart thrower, like hits a bullseye quite often, but not always, you know, and it's much better than just some like amateur throwing at a dartboard. And I feel like that's a little bit closer to what we're trying to do. So you guys, you had the big win, your first big win with Twilio. And is there any misses? You're like, oh, I biffed. I, I, that, that was like, you saw the deck and you're like, oh, this air bed and breakfast. What's this bullshit? No. <laughs> any, any, any misses, any, 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 any lost uh, loves that you should have went for that you, that you can think of? We did plaids, patent work, and we didn't have a great chemistry and I wish that I saw what they were building because they built a monster company and I wish that we worked harder to make that relationship work. And that was definitely a fail. Um, when we started working with Coinbase, it was already fairly late. It was like their series C and we're like, yeah, we'd like to invest. And they're like, well, you know, how much can you invest? And we're like, how about a quarter million? And they just kind of laughed, you know, just like it wasn't any, didn't have enough zeros. And yeah. so like, there was like, damn it, I wish I could, would have said like half a million or a million and just scrapped, you know, scraped the, the other like million to, together. So, so uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> you're like, damn it. If only I had seriously, you know, my funds then. So, you know, I know we're not going to have time to get into this, but I, I want to say if you, you know, you know, you, you've been able to raise this money and you've been able to, you know, figure out how to get people to trust you with their capital. And it's now starting to pay off pretty significantly. And the fact that you guys, it looks like are, are building some pretty prolific funds. What, what advice would you give to, you know, startups either a trying to get money from a, a shocks.vc or from a trucks fund or, and, or the other way around someone trying to raise a fund to get into the game you're in. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to try to invest, find an investor that has that same contrarian view that you do. You know, you have an insight and like find someone who's going to appreciate that particular insight. Um, Twilio, Jeff Lawson ended up like pitching, I don't know, like 60, 75 venture funds before he found the one that said yes. You know, like some of the greatest story, entrepreneurial stories on the planet. So many of them have so many no's before that first yes. And so, like, how do you find someone that's going to be able to see and appreciate that particular insight and deliver that insight genuinely? That, to me, is like when I hear that and I, I feel that connection, like, that's something that draws me closer. Man, we're out of time. If only we had more. We do. We do. Privately, we do. I mean, I, mean, I get to hang out with Jeff all the time, but uh, you all don't. So it, we might have to bring this back in for the real thing another time. Um, man, such a so grateful having you on the show. This is so fun. Uh, it's such an honor. You've been such an enormous influence on my entrepreneurial journey. And so um, definitely quite the honor. Well, the feeling is mutual, my friend. Guys, um, well, first of all, where can people... I know that, you know you got a lot of stuff going on if you're lucky enough to be able to get to work with jeff on the patent side i mean good luck on that one but where can people find you there and then what about on the investment side i know that there's some opportunities potentially for folks 
Yeah. And so um, you're a startup and you're looking for patent work, Jeff at shocks.com, S-C-H-O-X um, is a great place to reach me. And you're an early stage company focused on transportation. Uh, we find things that are making the world cleaner, safer, and more accessible to more people. Uh, you can reach me, reach me at jeff at trucks.vc. And that's trucks, T-R-U-C-K-S. That's correct. Yeah. So guys, uh, yeah, you check it out. They're doing, you guys are, I mean, we barely get to talk about trucks. You guys are literally like the darling of autonomous vehicles. So we, we saw, we saw something that others didn't. We got the timing right. A lot of VCs thought that this timing wasn't right. Um, and we knew we got, we're like, oh, it's about somewhere in the order of six to eight, eight years away. It turned out to be eight closer to nine. Um, but most people thought it was either three or 50. And we got the timing right. So, uh, Quick question, then we got to go. Are we going to have driverless cars? Yes or no in the next five years? We have them in, in San Francisco, like as of a few days ago, literally. Um, I, I think that they're there. The thing is, when they become super successful, they're going to be doing so many miles and they're going to end up creating some fatalities because that's what even the best drivers do when they drive a million or 10 million miles. They, they have that. And so I think that the companies right now are like, how many, how much of that PR can we handle? We know we're already safer than humans, but those couple of first fatalities are going to be very, very difficult for autonomous vehicle companies. All right, guys, you heard it here first. It's happening. Love it or leave it. Guys, thank you so much. It was wonderful having Jeff here. My brother, I love you. I appreciate you. And guys, uh, tune in next time. We got some great shows coming up, but this was one of my favorites. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Darius. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Peace out. We love you. Till next time. <laughs> you are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things. People who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world, and we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and... You will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck. Get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We out of here. See you guys next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. 
I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.